0: Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into the game we all love. I'm Ian McGarry, and joining me as always is Duncan Castles. Bit of a. Um, Individual, I'd say, Duncan, original podcast today because our intention is to give you all the latest on the Premier League meeting which happened in London today regarding the possibility of restarting football in the next few months, followed by a little treat. We'll keep a look, but we'll keep that till later. Um, Duncan, our information which comes, I should add, from people who were directly involved with the meeting at meeting which was a virtual meeting video recording is that uh first of all and probably most importantly to all football fans there is no um direct nor definite resolution as to regards when football will start up again however uh after much uh i guess response to events as well as um uh, mulling over the latest health, scientific, and government information. The Premier League stakeholders today uh, took stock, Duncan, of three logistical models of how the season could be completed. One begins in June and ends sometime in July, could run from middle of June to middle of July. Another would delay restarting, until the beginning of July, and therefore giving players and clubs the chance to do a more considered mini pre season, if you want to call it that, as well as, of course, let uh, the medical um, scenarios play, we hope, into a more positive um, mode. And the third is to effectively either start or begin before, but definitely end in August in a um, bid that next season will be normalised as much as it possibly can be. Now, All three models were presented um, very much with the uh, caveat that, of course, uh, things which change day to day, week to week, in the current climate of the pandemic must be the primary source of guiding football, as to what can be achieved. But as always, and as we spoke about earlier in this week's pod with Graham Hunter, um, there is a huge amount of economic, financial, even social pressure to get football back on the agenda, back playing, whether it's behind closed doors or in tournaments, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Interestingly, Duncan, I think first and foremost is that we have both heard from our sources at Premier League Clubs, that there are some clubs who are not necessarily publicly in agreement uh, with this kind of stance and would prefer for a more quick resolution, mainly, of course, one's stand to benefit from it, therefore those at the top in European places and those who are not at this moment in time being relegated. But I think a three-line whip has been drawn because of the PR battle, which football's been losing quite heavily in the public eye, anyway, in the last month or so regarding the financials and economics of football compared to that of the country as a whole uh, in the grip of this virus. Um, do you think it's unsurprising that we have, has has been presented as a, a unanimous decision, Duncan, and one which every club is subscribing to and is getting behind, even though we know for a fact that there are doubts and concerns in many clubs, that this is the correct way to go.
1: Yeah, I think you've explained that well there, Ian. It's, a, it's driven by PR and driven by the pressure that's been placed on the Premier League by the UK government, which is of course, not covered itself in glory in its handling of the pandemic, and uh, on footballers, um, with the UK government demanding that they take pay cuts, and by the some of the clubs themselves... Um, in terms of their attempts to use um, the UK furloughing scheme to pay um, a large percentage of the salaries of their non-playing staff, which uh, has resulted in a a number of, um, as we've described them, reverse furloughs, uh, most notably from Tottenham Hotspur and Liverpool, the two clubs who are the wealthiest who try to use taxpayers' money to... um, in, in this time in which they're unable to play matches and, and are missing out on um, a chunk of their, their normal revenue. Um, so yes, it, it, the Premier League needs to um, present a coherent front on this. Um, I think it's telling that the coherent front amounts to no definition as to uh, when the season will actually be played. Um, there's been that discussion of, of various scheduling models, but the, the, the statement from the league is that um, there's the, the intention remains to complete the season, but we're not able to um, tell you when we will do that. Um, I think the, the basis on which they're working, um, I understand, is that they will need eight weeks of training time and playing time combined to get the remaining nine or ten rounds of games finished, depending on, on which club you're looking at. So that if you if you take the model that, that Liam Rossinho explained to us last Friday in terms of a, an abbreviated pre-season um, coming out of this long wait without normal training, without any football, um, to prepare the players as best possible to get them to restart and complete the season. And, and Liam said he, he thought he would need three weeks um, in which to, to do that in as safe a fashion as possible. So you're looking at three weeks then pre-season and five weeks in which to, to cram those nine, 10 games into. Um, I think the Premier League stance, as we've explained in this podcast, is very similar to the leagues, all the other leagues and the, and the competitions the organizing body, UEFA, who have substantial amounts of broadcast money on the line. Um, They don't want to lose that money. They don't want to be involved in repayments. Um, If it isn't repayments involved. They don't want to be on the hook to the broadcasters in terms of uh, negotiating stance over future television rights, which is something that's been mentioned as a strategy that might be employed by Comcast to own the Sky rights. Um, Rather than attempting to or insisting on reclaiming money for unplayed games, they would use it as leverage to extend um, the, the length of time they have Premier League Rights under their control and uh, and enjoy um, more financial security as a company going forward off the back of this. If the Premier League can play their games, and and I think we're definitely looking here at what the Germans call ghost games. I don't think any there is a there's a, a real scenario in which the Premier League is going to be completed with fans back in the stadium. The planning is now. Let's get these games done. Let's, let's find a way we can get round to the pandemic and uh, maybe have the players sequestered off with some media, with um, the, the technical staff we need around them for a certain period, test them aggressively and consistently for COVID-19, avoid infections within, in that camp, play games behind closed doors, meet our broadcasting um, structures and, and get the league finished. As I say, the Premier League is, like La Liga, um, like UEFA, they want to get the games done and get that money in. You have this divide within football. We've seen the Belgium League um, announce the, the cancellation of their season and declare champions, and UEFA immediately respond by saying, we, we do not accept this, and your, um, your places in the Champions League and Europa League are not guaranteed until we agree to the way in which you you complete the season we've seen the scottish professional football league also move very much towards ending their season now that's been ended for the non-top division teams and champions declared and relegation announced uh, as a prelude to what they hope will be uefa approval to end this, the scottish premier league season with celtic champions um uh, because that suits the Scottish League and the Belgian League from a financial perspective to work in that way. Um, So I think that's where we stand at present. And and as you say, um, the information I have is that under the surface of these statements, the Premier League is, there's very much division over how this should happen, whether it really is feasible um, and necessary to play ghost games to extend the league onwards. Um, And there's also this big question mark over what you do with the Champions League and the Europa League. And we've seen the the president of UEFA, Alexander Cefirin, make various statements, including one that he expected that the Champions League would have to be completed by the 3rd of August. Then seeing UEFA make an official statement saying that that was not the case, that was not the official position, which shows the degree of um, difficulty these bodies have. in in handling the situation. We're now talking, the word from UEFA is they're aiming to get the Champions League played by the 29th of August. Um, So they're pushing that deadline back and back and back. And the 29th of August would fit with one of the schedules that the the Premier League is proposing. But realistically, no one can guarantee anything until they see what the course of the pandemic is in, their particular country. And obviously the UK is as badly affected as any other European country at present. And um, depending on which figures you look at, it it, uh, it could well be that the, the UK is the worst affected of all the European countries um, by at present and and, uh, and headed in that direction by the end of the, the course of the pandemic, which of course, makes it more complicated for the Premier League um, to follow this strategy of completing uh, and to start scheduling when it will complete. So
0: UEFA did have also um, an input at the Premier League meeting uh, on today, uh, Friday, the 17th of April, uh, in that they uh, let it be known through a uh, correspondence with uh, the Premier League officials, the Premier League uh, chief executive and chairman, that um, their preferred option is that all uh, domestic leagues and certainly the ones which directly input uh, and affect uh, their big competitions, i.e. Champions League and Europa League, should be completed by the end of July going into the beginning of August to do as you said Duncan allow this season's to your UEFA competitions to be completed in August potentially when domestic leagues have then restarted so you could see that position that situation where what used to be a friendly the old uh, not the old but the UEFA super cup uh being played uh, actually, with the Champions League final being played at a time when other clubs are playing um, Domestic League football although, again, that is very very doubtful and I'd say, you know, hopeful at this moment in time given uh, where we are in terms of the pandemic but it's interesting that UEFA as always are putting their oar in and saying, you know, we have a massive card to play in this um, and we want to be informed, but we also want an influence in terms of when you make decisions, uh, you make them at least in agreement with us so that we can try and work things out as best we can for all of us. So you have that other part to play, Duncan, where you've got to try and satisfy the governing bodies as well, of course, as satisfy your own government, your own... um, uh, fans as well as the socio-cultural influences which are more pressing every day given what we know about the influence this whole pandemic situation is having on the general public and as I said one of the reasons that I think the rather enforced unanimity of the Premier League as described today was as much about PR and then falling into line with um, what the feeling is in public life uh, in the UK at the moment, and that is that um, we all need to be pulling together and not be divisive uh, and respect everyone who's trying to make an effort to uh, get this uh, situation under control so that we can all get back to normal lives, not just football.
1: Yeah, and one of the complications in all of this is a complication we've discussed before, it's that there are a number of players whose contracts expire on June 30th. Um, I think there's 69 players in the Premier League. And that is a consideration that some of the Premier League clubs who aren't so keen to continue indefinitely are, are raising, that it's going to cause complications for them in terms of players who don't want to continue or players who've been loaned, who... Um, maybe don't want to continue with their club or players that have been loaned who they have to pay significant loan fees for and they're not using those players. Therefore, they would rather cancel the loan and send them back to their parent club. But also down the divisions, there's this discrepancy because we, we talked last Friday about the EFL chairman Rick Parry's plan to follow the, the Premier League model, essentially, of, of completing all three EFL Divisions, seasons with ghost games, which is fine if you are involved in the championship where television revenue is um, a substantial part of uh, your annual revenue or where the ability to get into the Premier League by completing the season um, is fundamental to your business plan. But once you go down the leagues, um we're talking about league one and league two clubs are going to be forced to play out the season behind closed doors um, with very little of their normal revenue uh these are clubs which are dependent on match day revenue which will disappear when they're playing ghost games behind closed doors um and therefore they will actually be playing at a loss Um, in each individual game. And also these clubs have players who are on expiring contracts, who they're they're forced um, potentially to retain them so that they can complete a season which they don't at present know when it will be completed, have to pay them through that period when in, in many cases it would make more economic sense for them to be able to release them from their contracts um, at the end of the season, not pay them through the summer and, uh, and just have the league finish as it is so that there, there really isn't one solution that fits everyone. And while Parry's plan is good in a certain sense from the integrity of the English game point of view, all four senior professional leagues finish in the same way and, uh, and relegation and promotion is decided on, on the basis of a full season. It's got major drawbacks for the clubs where the economic modelling is completely different because television revenue is not the fundamental source of cash that it is in the Premier League and uh, and higher up in the, in the Championship.
0: And of course, Duncan, one of the major aspects of um, that train of thought is that players whose contracts end on June the 30th will then be in a position whereby perhaps they can be renewed on a month-by-month basis. But again, that's uh, a call which will be between the player of the club and his agent. If he wants to see out a potential season in the months of June, July, August... But at the same time, you flip that coin and say, well, if this is a player who is looking for another club actively and wants a contract somewhere else, then he gets a stage upon which to play his game and interest other clubs to sign him in what we already expect to be a widely and almost unrecognisable transfer market situation. When that market opens and remains open, into the start of next season. Um, it seems like there are it's, it's two, ed- two edges of you know, a sword with regards to how these things work, but you can't understand completely why um, with the money involved and the lack of gate receipts where uh, the non-premier league clubs benefit much more so from, through the turnstiles' uh, money, then they will try to seek some kind of financial, um, let's just say, bandage uh, before the actual, the actuality and practicality of when the game resumes um, in order they can still be alive while surviving for that kickoff.
1: Yeah, I I think that's correct. And I think we should note that although there's been talk of the Premier League paying money to the EFL um, as compensation and to keep clubs alive, there's nothing solid actually promised or committed to as yet. There's been an offer to bring forward um, payments that were due to the the EFL anyway, Um, but no decision from the Premier League that, for example, to, to make, to ensure that League Two, League One and the Championship all go the ghost game route and completing the season route, that the, the Premier League funds that by by sending money down to compensate the clubs that are financially damaged by it. And, and I think that's not surprising given that the Premier League clubs don't know the quantum of the damage that's going to be caused to them yet, and, and, and as this pandemic continues, as there's the, there's no certainty over a date of resumption, as the the broadcasters start to to lose money and lose subscribers and lose advertising revenue, you can see clubs beginning to worry about where it's going to leave them and how much damage it's going to do to them, even in the Premier League. So that therefore there'll be a a reluctance to um, to guarantee that money. And in Scotland, we saw a big fight over ending the season early and uh, one club in, in the in Scotland's second division eventually having the decision to itself because of a, um, a, a glitch in the voting um, process if, at least if we accept um, that club Dundee's version of events um, and and eventually voting for uh, the end of the season under huge, duress from other clubs who wanted money paid to them from the league immediately as a way of surviving. And, you know, um, it, it has resulted in, in my club, Dundee United, being declared winners of the division and promoted back to the top division after too long a wait. But um, it's been very messy. Uh, and I don't think it's, uh, it's going to get clear um, anytime soon. And, and I think the uh, divisions like Scotland are kind of the canaries um, in the mine of football here, where the, that decision, that vote was forced through be, essentially because, because clubs were looking at going out of business if they didn't get cash in immediately. Um, uh, so, and this is very early in the process relative to um, English clubs and, and, and clubs elsewhere. It's, um, it's, yeah, as as um, as Bernie Mandich um, said to us on uh, a couple of weeks ago, when he looked at the the transfer market in football um, from the perspective of an, of an agent, um, it's it's already ugly and it's it's going to get uglier still. I think it's probably um,
0: an issue which Duncan has been not airbrushed or or concealed, but the general view of the public, the footballing public, what they see, especially in England, is this massive cash cow where clubs absorb huge sums of capital from broadcasting deals and sponsorship deals and marketing and everything else. And almost like a, a, a never-ending um, availability of money. But the realistic and the, real, the, the actual practical model is below the Premier League, clearly. Even in the championship clubs where you've got big clubs who have um, huge amounts of season ticket holders, a very healthy um, income from their base assets, and by that I mean by selling players uh, their um, attendances, their season tickets, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But League One, League Two clubs are not. Now, it's not just the top 20 clubs, it's the 92 who are involved in this. And it's wrong to perceive that after, what, five weeks of shutdown, that well, uh, it's fine for Premier League to complain and, and whine and moan about how much money, whether it's a billion pounds or not, that they might lose. And then forget about clubs who literally depend on week by week income coming through the gate, whether it's sales of pies and coffees and and away fans buying tickets, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And those supporters and the people who are both invested financially and emotionally in those clubs, um, they do have a a voice which is lesser heard. But you can see why there is a reason and a uh, almost uh, as much of an importance as to why those voices should be heard in the bigger argument. Because you're talking about, you know, 100, 150 years of history and of a league which prides itself on uh, being historical, traditional, and also producing fairy stories of back-to-back promotions, etc., etc. I forget the, the question, I suppose, for the Premier League is, whilst um, economising and doing that through wage deferrals and wage cuts and everything else, and the Premier League and the PFA as well, and even UEFA, where there are large amounts of um, cash still entrenched, which could be used for bailouts, when is it going to be the case that those clubs' problems will be addressed? Because we know that big clubs can survive and probably can survive you know, another six months without being in real trouble. But what about the other 72?
1: I think the whole thing has highlighted the, the paradox of football's finances. There is huge money in football in Europe. There's massive money Particular in the in the Premier League um, in England, but very few of the clubs year to year make profits. Even in the Premier League, at this stage of the the right cycle, you're looking at roughly half the clubs in the division are actually reporting profits. When you get into the start of a new cycle, when when assuming money goes up as it has been do, doing for for decades now, then you get the big profits on on balance sheets. In the championship, virtually everyone loses money and they're run to lose money because they're chasing the ticket into the Premier League and those big um, broadcasting rights. The owners make a lot if they buy the right club and the club increases in value as Premier League clubs have done in general, but specifically the top end clubs have done to a huge extent. Manchester United, Arsenal, Liverpool. Uh, Tottenham Hotspur, their valuations are in the billions now, when they used to be in the the tens of millions, and you know, hundreds of hundred million or so um, when purchased. In the case of something like Liverpool, so that the profit comes in the increasing valuations of the clubs and and selling them on, and uh, uh, and having access to that, and then the rest of the money in uh, majority goes to the players, which of course it should do because they are the real product. But the, the, the kind of year-to-year cash flow of the clubs is lots of money coming from broadcast revenue and going out the door to run them, very little profit um, for many of the clubs, uh, most of the time, and a limited amount of cash in the bank for most of the clubs most of the time, which means when you get a situation like this where the revenue stops, um, almost all the clubs get exposed very quickly uh, and the ones further down the chain get seriously exposed. And that's, that's the, the issue that football as a whole has to deal with if it wants to pre- preserve that structure you're talking about of four leagues in England and professional football all the way through and, and um, clubs with, with a great history uh, servicing local communities, being able to stay in business um, through this pandemic and at the end of it.
0: So that's, a, I think, a very good and um, well-explained um, roundup of what's been happening today with regards to Premier League stakeholders meeting. Uh, uh influence of UEFA uh, and the possibility of restart in the next three to four months um duncan let 's end this segment by just giving our professional opinion and also i think importantly our um our gut feeling on when we think football will resume based, of course, on speaking to so many people in football who are contacts and friends and everything else. Because I do think there is a much more optimistic hue um, about the, what's being fed to the public than what actually is going on in the private conversations in football right now.
1: Well, the Bundesliga thinks they can play next month. Um, and they're preparing it and they've got a coherent strategy they feel to do. So they're, no doubt they are the best organised of, of the European leagues and they're trying to place themselves in a position to, to complete as quickly as possible. And, and maybe as a result of that, they could be the destination for um, a Champions League tournament. If UEFA goes down the line of saying, well, we have to play it in one country, um, to get it efficiently and safely out of the way. The obvious country to play it in would be the one that completes their season under the ghost game format, and Germany are setting themselves up to do that. Let's see
0: if Duncan, they get there. Would that be mm. with no foreign fans? Obviously, you're saying ghost game, but I, I think, stopping I think, foreign fans from travelling, even to be outside the stadium or
1: in the city and everything else. the The, the Bundesliga chief executive is on record as saying he doesn't expect fans back in the stadium, even with their plans to get this season finished and the next season started until January. Until January, year. yeah, of course. So UEFA will, I think, have to go like everyone else on the broadcast account who wants to get seasons finished down the, the ghost game closed doors route. Um, so there won't be any fans in the stadium. Um, but let's see how, if the Bundesliga can actually get this model to work. And if they can't get it to work, then that's bad news for Premier League and everyone else in La Liga who are trying to go down the same route. I, I go back to a conversation I had with a senior figure at um, a major European club talking about their plans. His prediction was um, no football, even behind closed doors until January next year. That's what he felt was the most likely scenario at present. As I said at the time of the podcast, I hope he's being pessimistic. I hope he's got that wrong. Um, but that's, that's the, the, the expectation of a very well-organized club who, um, who were calm talking about what was going to happen. They weren't panicking. They had their strategy set out. They had their transfer market strategy set out. And, um, and that was his analysis. I don't
0: suppose he was always also someone who was involved in the ECA um plan with regards to European Super League. Uh
1: don't think so. No, not, the ra- the reason I not, ask not directly is involved.
0: Is, I, I'm just i it's a serious question in the sense that you know the the darwinian aspect of this you know survival of the fittest almost And, you know, in a brutal way comes into effect in situations like this, where if clubs go to the wall, then all you have left are the strongest clubs. And if those clubs are based in several European countries, they can still compete at the same length and and same uh, format and the same uh, or almost the same. Uh, level, then that would suggest that a, a Super League of you know, Europe would be much more realistic than what we currently have with five big leagues and then several others, etc., cetera, et cetera. Look,
1: There's no doubt that this is an opportunity to restructure football. Um, and we know the ECA, or the, 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 the strongest, many of the strongest members in the ECA, Andre Agnelli being prominent, but also Real Madrid being prominent in this, are looking at structures in which they they get more broadcast revenue, get more money by playing against the top teams in Europe on a more regular basis. There's the opportunity to do that. Um, there's the opportunity to to set up an Atlantic League, which is something that, that, that was talked about um, for a long time, as a way of strengthening Dutch, Scottish, um, Scandinavian football by having a, a more competitive structure there, you, the European Super League, if built the right way, can can restore the strength of Scottish, um, Portuguese, uh, Dutch, Belgian football by allowing them to have seats at, at that table. There are, you know, there are ways that it can be turned into an improvement for the game as a whole, but. You know the way football has worked over the last 10-20 years suggests what you're suggesting that the the guys who've got the money um will use it to grab more money to themselves and and that survival of the fittest with with an elimination of, of of competitor clubs that have been taking a chunk of the european revenue from the top clubs for a while is something that may well appeal to the the agnellis and and florentino perez's of this world
0: As always, we would like to uh, leave that one hanging with you, our listeners, Um, a very, very intriguing thought that the possibility, a real possibility, that a European Super League could be the um, outcome of this current crisis that we are involved in. Um, Let's hope not for the sake of the status quo, but at the same time, uh, you did hear it here first. Now we're going to give you a little treat now, because in these troubled times, it's uh, important for us not just to bring you news, but to deliver a little bit of levity and uh, even some amusement. And uh, we're very aware that a lot of you love the Donkey Awards, and uh, we've not been able to deliver you our normal Donkey Milk Bottles on a weekly basis, the uh, the Donkey of Human Kindness, as, as we like to call it, um, and therefore. We have now uh, put together a little edit um, of some of our favourite donkey awards to uh, finish the podcast off today before we join you again next week. We hope you enjoy them. Uh, and of course, any ideas you have for future donkeys, we are very grateful for. Um, have a listen, see what you think, laugh away, and uh, make sure that you get in touch with the award winners when
2: you hear them. Our donkey this week is the award for the following. It's the thrown Under a Bus Award inspired by Jurgen Klopp's decision to announce that he was leaving Liverpool's FA Cup replay to Neil Critchley immediately after losing a two-goal lead to League One Shrewsbury. Now, Duncan, there are three candidates, so I'm going to open... The transfer window envelope where the names are sealed. (laughs) Schrodinger's candidates at the moment, but now about to be uh, unleashed (laughs) into the world.
1: From Schrodinger's envelope. Where do you you buy that? Is that uh, WH Smith that you get Schrodinger's envelopes from?
2: (laughs) Right. The first candidate is Mr. Paul Pogba, who this week has been reported as head is not in Manchester or currently at this club. He has time and time again thrown his fellow colleagues under the bus, not just with his performances, but with his uh, comments to the media and his general demeanour. So that is going to be my first nomination, Mr Paul Pogba. The second nomination is Alfredo Morelos, the Rangers striker, although I don't think... He is actually the one throwing anyone under a bus. He has been thrown under a bus by, well, let's say Sky at the moment, who put out a translation of an interview that Mr Morelos did in his native Spanish tongue that was a little bit, well, more than a little bit inaccurate. Um, it claimed in the interview via the subtitles that Alfredo Morelos, it was suggesting that Celtic fans had uh, issued racial abuse towards him. Uh, But this wasn't actually what Mr Morelos had to say, uh, as we reported in the Daily Record. So I think that's a very interesting one. And finally, the last candidate is Leo Messi and Eric Abadal. This is an astonishing story for anyone that's not seen it. An argument between two titans of Barcelona, two former teammates, a schism of almost unimaginable consequences, Duncan, for the club and what might happen in the summer. Um, As it was revealed, Mr. Messi can walk away, potentially, for free. Um, Lionel Messi, the Argentinian superstar, obviously taking umbrage to some comments made by Eric Abidal that he perhaps felt were aimed towards him over the departure of their manager. Duncan, you tell me who is going to win this week's Donkey uh well you have picked some uh, some excellent
1: candidates out of that uh, that philosophical envelope that you've ripped up there um i think well paul pogba as you say done it on multiple occasions um i think he's, he's probably his best um, uh throwing under the bus was uh, coming out after um Manchester united matches and and uh, telling his manager um, via the uh the, the, the messenger of the press that he should be playing attack, 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 and, uh, and trying to take on the, the, the Vincent company role of, of player manager before it had even been invented. But yes, Pogba doesn't seem to have any um, uh, hesitation in, in these matters. Um, Alfredo Morella's story is hilarious, and uh, I would urge the listeners to, to read that Daily Record article where um, uh, hastily. Um, convened interview with Morellis, um, was granted by Rangers Football Club to Sky. And, uh, and uh, the translation oddly didn't match what Morellis had actually said in the interview and, uh, and has ended up deeply offending the club they're going head to head with in the, in the Scottish title race. And, um, uh, thrown under a bus is quite amusing given it was all started by a, Apparently, a private detective throwing himself under Alfredo Morales's Lamborghini car um, at the request, um, allegedly, of Alfredo Morales's wife, who has since denied that and uh, and been supported in that denial by Morales himself. So, yeah, appropriate. But I think the clear winner here has to be not just Messi. And Abidal, but I think the whole of Barcelona, who seem to be intent on throwing themselves under buses at the moment, they've just thrown Ernesto Valverde under a bus and replaced him with Kiki Setien. And and you could argue that um, the circumstances in which Setien has come onto effectively amounts to him being thrown under a bus as well. You've got Abidal blaming the players for drop-off and performance, which Messi um, points out is not acceptable and uh messi going on his instagram account and talking in great detail about abidal and saying he should name names if he's going to accuse players of uh of damaging the barcelona cause so leno you know, messi throwing eric abidal under the bus and and probably um the president bartomeo in the process and he just uh the i think the question you have apart from um how bad can it get at Barcelona is is the bus they're throwing them under, the Inter Milan bus that famously <laughs> parked itself in Camp Nou um, on Pep Guardiola's attempt to get into a Champions
2: League uh, final with that great club in Catalonia. A deserving winner there. I put myself up to be the man that goes to Barcelona to deliver that donkey. I... Uh, as it's Wednesday's podcast, of course,
0: we're going to finish with the infamous Donkey Award. We promise you it will have nothing to do with VAR or bodily parts. Instead, we are going to name today's Donkey in the honour of Mr Brendan Rogers. Uh, and this, of course, comes against the background of that uh, Manchester City ban in Europe and the fact that the Premier League, of course, are also currently investigating. Manchester City in terms of financial regulations, which has led to the proposition and possibility that they might be stripped of their 2014 Premier League title. What may you say has this got to do with Brendan Rodgers? Well, of course, that was the year that his Liverpool team finished four points behind Manchester City. So if City were stripped of that title, then theoretically Liverpool's weight for a Premier League title and a, indeed a top flight title would not be over this year. In fact, it would be backdated six years and Brendan Rogers would be very much entitled to have his very own open-top bus parade around the city of Liverpool with the Premier League trophy. Him and Stevie Gerrard, probably the only two people on the bus. Maybe Jordan Henderson skipping from one to the other to do both with, of course, Jurgy in the back during the 2020 Championship trophy. As well as, of course, we understand, Duncan, uh, Liverpool have booked two open uh, top bus parades, one for Champions League, possibly, as well as one for the Premier League. So, after all that, we have the potential for three open top buses in the city of Liverpool this summer. You just can't get enough of this, can you? So, today's donkey is going to be the Brendan Rogers Award for the Ghost Celebration. And of course, that's the ghost because... It never actually happened and doesn't exist. Well, it might yet. So, uh, three nominations, Duncan. I'm now going to read out. Well, apparently, you'll all be glad to know that we actually got the um, surplus golden votes from this year's Oscar ceremony. They're so impressed by the Dunkies, they sent them to us so we could use them for our nominations. Uh, the first is a Liverpool player, and that is Luis Garcia. The scorer of the very ghost goal at Anfield in Champions League semi-final 2005, which put Chelsea out uh, of the tournament and saw Liverpool go on to win that memorable game against AC Milan, coming back to the 3-0 down in the Atatürk Stadium, widely remembered as the spirit of Istanbul amongst Liverpool players, fans, etc., which, of course, fits in nicely with the ghost celebration. So that we just had to say, well, Luis Garcia's goal shouldn't have counted, or should it? Well, it's a ghost celebration. Second nomination is our old friend John Terry, and of course his ghost celebration came in the form of, even though Chelsea weren't stripped of the European Cup, JT was stripped to lift it uh, in Munich at the Allianz Arena, having beaten Bayern Munich in 2012. And the third, and this is probably the most controversial of all three, Duncan, England's 1966 World Cup victory at Wembley against the Old West Germany. A ghost celebration helped by a goal which should never have counted. Duncan, please award the golden statuette this week uh, in the the honour of Brendan Rodgers' ghost celebration.
1: Well, I'm tempted by Luis Garcia, um, especially after that report that came out recently that Liverpool were... Planning their um, their open top celebration for Premier League, and we're having a discussion as to whether they they needed to plan two um, in the expectation that they would retain the European Cup, and and whether they should combine those celebrations together or whether the best way to do it was to have double parties. And now, obviously, with this um, with the possibility however unlikely, that the Premier League take um, the, uh, the the title off Manchester City in 2014 and hand it to um, Stephen Gerrard, who said in uh, in one of his uh, uh, roles as Rangers manager that he's very, very interested in, in the, the Manchester City case as to whether... Uh, the the uh, the title comes back to Liverpool. Now they have the possibility of having to arrange three open top bus armies, and as you say, having um, certain players jump between them in uh, in those uh, uh, celebrations for their their many titles that could be coming their way this season. Uh, you also have to say that Stephen Gerrard has been quite brave uh, talking about the possibility of titles being stripped off. Um, Manchester City are a prominent club, uh, given his role as Rangers manager and uh, their history of of being demoted down multiple divisions for egregious breaches of rules and and not actually having titles stripped off them, I wonder if he ran that by the Rangers PR department before he decided to talk about it. Do you think they've got the ability to raise the slip as well?
0: You know, like do that men in black <laughs> thing where 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 you erase the memories of everyone who ever saw Stevie Gerard slip just by the press of a ballpoint pen. Uh, and it erased Demba ba from existence. Demba as well. as well, yeah. Demba suddenly disappears like the photograph and back to the future.
1: <laughs> but I'm not gonna give it to Liverpool. I, I'm not even going to give it to John Terry, who I think has quite a few of these already, although his um, his uh, ghost celebration is a very special one. I think it really has to go to England. Um, their one World Cup win, tainted by that, terrible decision to give them a, the, the goal that turned out to be decisive that was never a goal in a tournament that was tainted by um, players being kicked off the pitch the best player in the world Pelly being kicked off the pitch in the in the earlier rounds so I think England um, World Cup win 1966 deserves to be deleted from history and, and wouldn't that be a happy outcome for um, quite a lot of other nations most prominent of which being the one we both come from Ian <laughs>
0: It's awards season, so it's even more important that the donkey is, is there and up alongside that other golden statue, which no one cares about with regards to if they get it compared to the donkey. And uh, this week's donkey award is going to be presented by inspiration from a Brexit party MEP, June Mummery, who yesterday uh, tweeted that she was very kind of concerned about who told the EU to account with regards to British interests in the fishing industry, now that the UK is not going to be part of the EU. So we're going to call this the Dunkey June Mumry Award for being shocked at your own idiotic <laughs> actions, when in fact, you should probably not predict that particular circumstance. Duncan, I'm just going to open the golden envelope. Oh, it's a bit of a tough one this week to open. Maybe that's something to do with the transfer window, as in not the podcast, but the actual window itself. It'd be a bit sticky. Uh, first to be nominated, Duncan, is Manchester United for building a squad uh, for the season uh, so far with an adequate number of certainly midfield strength and certainly strikers. And of course, we have to add in the fact that we are, again, 22 days in the window and no Um, additions have been made. Tottenham Hotspur for uh, pursuing an even more vigorous version of this uh, self-immolation because their main striker Harry Kane is out for three to four months and of course they didn't think that perhaps this would ever happen and so have no backup striker who plays the same way as Kane causing them a lot of problems. Remember they have yet to to score uh, in this calendar year uh, and finally Pep Guardiola for allowing Gabriel Jesus to take yet another penalty despite the fact his record in taking penalties is so poor Duncan over to you to choose the winner of this week's donkey
1: the uh, slap yourself in the face with a wet fish award I think is how we have to describe it uh,
0: absolutely yeah a wet let's the Scottish
1: version a wet kipper it <laughs> <laughs> takes an exceptional kind of idi- idiocy to come up with a statement like June Mummery's yesterday, but then maybe we shouldn't be surprised of a- an exceptional kind of idiocy coming from the Brexit party. Um, we certainly shouldn't be surprised about Manchester United. Manchester um, United. Uh, and anyone listening to this podcast will have heard us talk in great detail about how poor the recruitment has been under Ed Woodward and Co uh, since he took over uh, the ultimate decision making on who they should buy um, and who they should give contracts to and who they should sell. And um, we're seeing it come home to roost once again in this window. Tottenham, um, yeah, I think I think they're they're a stronger candidate because Daniel Levy. Um, has done very well in the transfer market and has built Tottenham into um, a team which has um, what many people think is the best stadium in Europe, what some people think is the best training ground in Europe and uh, into Champions League finalists last year. But uh, really bizarre to have just Harry Kane. Harry Kane so central to your team and no um, direct replacement um, for a player who we all know has a track record of being injured for a reasonable chunk of every season. Um, but I think this one, um, we need to give to Pep Guardiola for his, um, his faith in Gabriel Jesus. Um, I believe that's his fourth consecutive penalty, um, normal time penalty that he's missed. Um, I believe he's missed six penalties. In normal time in total since he became a Manchester City player and you know while other Manchester City players have had notable problems converting penalties, we have that famous Rihad Mahrez miss at Anfield um, last season which cost Manchester City a win there, Um, you would think that of all the squads in the Premier League um, the one where it would be easy enough to find an alternative penalty kick taker would be the super talented Manchester City squad but for some reason Pep sticks with Jesus, um, maybe it's just a symbol of faith.
0: Hey, well, I can, I can say this is breaking news because Duncan, um, someone who claims to be a former teammate of Jesus, uh, who calls himself Judas, said that um, he once saw him miss a penalty and his response was, so you can walk on water, but you can't go from 12 yards. <laughs> <laughs> so there you, there you have it, Gabriel. Um, need to practice on those twelve-yard uh, sport kicks. Uh, Pep Guardiola, well done on winning. I think this must be at least a hat trick, if not more. Uh, Donkey Awards. Now we're well into now the awards season, uh, and Hollywood has nothing uh, on the Donkey Awards, as you know. The Donkey Awards being the most prestigious in the world even though they apply only to football. And this week's uh, nomination has been inspired by the UK Prime Minister, Mr Boris Johnson, uh, who has, by claiming to be the leader of the People's Government, has started his tenure um, in office by going to Scotland and effectively saying, we're the People's Government, but what we're really seeing is we're telling you people to get stuffed because we're not listening to you. So we're going to turn this into uh, an award for the People's Club, So when the People's Club have claimed to be the People's Club, well, actions or words have said they're telling the people to get stuffed. I'll just open the golden envelope here, Duncan. Thank you very much. There we go. And we have three very, very interesting nominations for you to decide upon. Um, First of all, possibly uh, the People's Club of all People's Club, uh, and that would be Liverpool FC, current runaway leaders in the Premier League, of course. But... uh, made a bit of a public PR um, mistake when um, Fenway Sports Group, the club's owners, tried to trademark the city's name, Liverpool. Not so long ago, inciting much furore uh, amongst the fans as well as the people of that great English city. Uh, the second nomination is uh, FC Barcelona, who, of course, as we mentioned, are owned by the people and allegedly run for the people. But... Uh, I- When they sold uh, the historic uh, Blaugrana stripes, which had never had a sponsor on the front of the shirt, to Qatar, uh, thus uh, effectively selling out the historic blood right of the people who own that club. And third, but certainly not last, the people's club that is Manchester United, whom, uh, of course, uh, claim to have the biggest following in world football, um, not just in terms of supporters, but in social media as well, who effectively stopped becoming the, the people's club when the Glazer family took control and they became the billionaires club. Duncan, I leave it to you to decide from those three very worthy nominations.
1: Uh, well, Fenway Sports Group definitely deserve a mention for that uh, attempt to trademark the name Liverpool. Um, fortunately, the Liverpool supporters um, told them uh, where to go. And uh, and you have to say Liverpool supporters have a history of this in that they, they told the previous um, American uh, wealthy owners of the club where to go and uh, and got um, this change in ownership which has effectively returned them to uh, the top of English football so um, uh, I think they they remain the people's club because the people still have that degree of influence there Um, Barcelona yes uh, I think a great nomination um, selling out your shirt and not only selling out your shirt selling it out to uh, Qatar was uh one of the uh, worst episodes i think in in Barcelona history and and quite amusing that um in the end Qatar took revenge on uh Barcelona by stealing um one of their uh, most uh, coveted players from them forcing the the transfer of Neymar um a few years later so be careful who you you play with when you decide to sell your shirt to uh to nation states um but i think this one has to go to manchester united uh, they as you say um hugely well supported club um, uh, but uh, have been used i think is the only way you can describe it by the glazer family to make a huge amount of money um through that uh, engineered takeover in which very very little cash whatever came from the glazer family and and subsequent to which over a billion pounds of manchester united's money has gone out of the football club and into um, other people's pockets. Uh, the majority of it going to the Glazers themselves. So I think they get this award for being the anti people's club.
0: This, of course, is Wednesday's Transfer Window podcast, which means we will end it in fitting uh, 2 million listener style with a donkey award. Uh, I was tempted to give it to Duncan himself uh, obviously to the, the team but uh, we're not that conceited we're instead uh, going to hand it out to yet another lucky recipient uh, and of course we have a fantastic um, uh, well let's give you first of all the category and then we'll give you the nominations so based on the um, statement of Mr Richard Arnold of Manchester United um during the uh, release of fiscal results this uh, week. um, He said about the transfer of um, the former Watford player on loan from China, Odin Agalo. Shortly after we concluded that loan deal for Agallo, the news was uh, the top trend worldwide on Twitter. Now, um, I think all of you are aware that that particular comment has since been ridiculed widely on social media. In fact, the very Twitter that Richard referred to. So uh, we're going to award the Richard Arnold um, donkey for the uh, most silly or indeed ridiculous statement about your, or his in this case, football club. First up, Duncan, um, let me just uh, open the the golden envelope and then we can get down to the actual nominations. Oh, yes. Very esteemed company this week. First up, first up, first up on the, uh, the roster, Gary Cook. Does everyone remember Gary Cook, former Chief Executive of Manchester City, who uh, boasted to a fans forum in New York early on in uh, his time as Chief Executive? Um, I won't go through the whole quote, but it is certainly very uh, interesting. This football club, without doubt, is going to be the biggest and best in the world. I'll make no excuses for saying it. I truly believe it, with the resources and capabilities we have, Um, perhaps would be called as a witness or um, testimonial in the CAS appeal, just so everyone knows. Duncan, the second one is uh, Ed Woodward. Uh, I'll let you perhaps uh, explain the full quote, but um, my favourite line has to be, uh, we're represented in more countries now than McDonald's. If that says more about uh, Edward Wood's dietary habits than it does about Manchester United. However, uh, uh, we'll uh, leave that with one for the moment. And the third is um, Sir Kenneth, who, in response to um, his Liverpool team when he was managing them in the wake of the Luis Suarez racism row with Patrice Ever, which, if you remember, Ever was, con- uh, was found guilty of racist, rac- racially abusing. Evra and uh, given a lengthy ban. Um, before that ban was uh, actually handed out and the players all wore Louis Suarez T-shirts, Tagluge said, I think the boys showed their respect and admiration for Louise with wearing the T-shirts. It's a great reflection of the man as a character, a person and a footballer. Duncan, I'll leave it over to you to hand out the 2 million listener Richard Arnold Award for most, uh, well,
1: let's just call it silly things said about his football club? Um, Not a surprise that Gary Cook is in there. He had uh, quite a history of of, uh, amusing um, and uh, somewhat embarrassing statements in his time as Manchester City Chief Executive. Um, Biggest and best football club in the world. They haven't got there yet. Maybe, maybe he knew what Abu Dhabi planned to do and, uh, this would have been before financial fair play kicked him properly and, and he felt that they could buy themselves the biggest and, and best football club in the world. They've had a, they've had a good go at it. They do have the most expensive team squad. In the history of the game, but, um, the best football club in the world, I think, um, UEFA and, uh, and their, uh, their competitors and, and supporters of other clubs would suggest that, uh, their behaviour, um, indicates that you can't describe them as the best football club in the world. So bad, bad call on that one. It would be nice to give Ed Woodward. Um, the Richard Arnold Award, those two being such good friends and so important to the Glazers' astounding success as, as owners of, of Manchester United. Um, it is quite a remarkable quote. This was from 2014. Um, during Louis van Gaal's first pre-season at Manchester United, he says, it's the biggest club in the world. We are represented in more countries now than McDonald's. Stats like that I love. It's a huge honour to be in this role. This is the biggest sports team in the world, not just the biggest football team. And uh, talking about attracting players and what they were going to do under Van Gaal, he said, we're still a huge attraction to top football stars around the world. There's no doubt about that. I hope fans will see the direction we're heading in with the new manager, coaching staff and players and a commitment to do what it takes to get back to the top. Now, that was 2014 listeners sounds quite similar to what Edward Ed was saying in 2020 doesn't it
0: um duncan i'm not familiar
1: with um
0: mcdonald's as a menu just you know it's more my own life choice uh not criticizing because i don't know i've never been there but when he says things like stats like that i love is that something
1: that's on the menu stats <laughs> <laughs> i think i think people who eat a lot of mcdonald's sometimes have to take statins. So I guess you could argue oh, that.
0: Oh, that maybe
1: that's what it is. Okay, okay, very good, very good. <laughs> um, but even Ed can't win this one. I think. I think uh, if we're talking about statements that embarrass your football club, Kenny De Glees, um wins this one hands down with that attempt to um, back and support Luis Suarez um, over what was indefensible behaviour. Um, I think he, uh, you know, embarrassed his players, he embarrassed the club, um, and uh, yeah, this one's no competition. Uh, Kenny Dalglish and Liverpool will win Richard Arnold uh, two million transfer window podcast award.
0: If you want to continue the debate with Duncan and I with the transfer window podcast, you can do so on all of our social media channels. That's at Transfer Podcast on Twitter also on Facebook and on Instagram. We have Duncan.Castles on Instagram. is also on Facebook and, of course, at DuncanCastles on Twitter. I'm at GarboSJ on Twitter if you want to get in touch. And if you want to increase and help us to increase this obviously ever-expanding audience, which we are grateful to you without your listening then you know the transfer podcast would be a very poor place wouldn't it because you guys are the ones that help make it what it is you obviously like what you're hearing if you do give us a wee pat in the back get onto itunes uh, and give us a five-star review and that as you all have been doing helps us to expand the community as you know that's all for today's podcast thanks for listening